Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is all of it. I'm Matt Katz, filling in for Allison Stewart. February Get Lit musical guest Jake Blunt is a performer and scholar of Black American folk music and a recipient of the Steve Martin Banjo Prize. His most recent album, The New, Th- the New Faith, is an Afrofuturist folk record that imagines Black religious music in a world leveled by climate change. For his set list at the book club event this week, he drew from an archive of blues and spiritual songs, tapping into themes of abduction found in Santana Reeve Dew's The Reformatory, our February book selection. All of it and Get Lit music producer Simon Close interviewed Blunt at the library on Wednesday. In a moment, you'll hear their conversation, but first, here's an excerpt of Blunt's opening song, fittingly titled, Where Is My Brother Gone? Thank you. 
Hi, Jake. Hey. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. So when we were talking about putting this event together, as we were talking with the library and Tanana Reeves' team, the parable of the sower came up. Mm-hmm. And immediately that brought my mind to you because I know that that was an influence on the new faith. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the new faith and all the influences that went into it. And I guess also how literature in general plays into the influences that inform your music. Oh, okay. So I have to say, so my my dad is an author. I would be an author if I had the attention span to write a book. Um, I I truly big respect. Um, yeah, I I always approach my work in that way. I try to think in that mindset, and uh, it was one thing when I was working with more traditional uh, old school stuff, like on my first record, Spider Tales, which is kind of a straight up string band record with some you know commentary and twist in it. Um, but the New Faith is full on Afrofuturist concept album that kind of explores what black folk music might sound like in a future that's been drastically altered by climate change um, and was obviously influenced in the conception by Parable of the Sower, even though I think the tone and content of it wound up very different. Um, but the idea was tracing the way that this music has evolved over time will continue to evolve over time and envisioning the ways in which as maybe we lose access to some of the technology we have now, we're going to hear some of those older sounds that have become buried in today's popular music reemerge, but altered in a new way. So, you know, there's pieces of disco in there. There's pieces of house music in there. There's also banjo tunes from 1687. And I I got to throw it all into one big pot and let it cook. And it did a lot of the cooking on its own. I didn't have to do very much. I'm interested about that big pot, I guess. And, you know, you are a scholar of folk music. You've talked a lot about folk music. And this is The New Faith is a folk album, but it also incorporates hip hop, all the other elements you were talking about. What does folk mean what does that word mean to you (laughs) oh we can all go home um (laughs) uh i think that any person you asked would give you a different definition uh of that term uh and now that i'm in grad school i am really leery of definitions uh right that would be the first 10 pages of the dissertation that i wrote on this question but i guess um When I say black folk music, what I am referring to is black music that emerges in a non-commercial or pre-commercial context. Um, Because I think uh, even though uh, there are folks involved in the commercial record industry, and certainly the commercial record industry uh, produces a product that is sold to folks, I think uh, a lot about... Yeah, folks. We're all folks. (laughs) I listened to Dua Lipa on the way here. I'm not better than you. Um, But... I think that uh, I I think about the music that people are making together rather than just listening to together. And part of the reason why I drew the things together that I did was because of when and where I grew up. So, right, I'm playing this old fiddle, banjo, you know, blues and string band and whatever stuff that everybody seems to acknowledge as folk because it falls before a certain unnamed time cutoff. Uh, which is very arbitrary to me and kind of silly because I grew up in Washington, D.C. in the late 90s and early 2000s, and everybody around me was, like, rapping or, you know, producing EDM later on, right? The, mm-hmm. That that was the, the music that was happening around me. It was go-go, it was hip-hop, it was funk, it was EDM, all that stuff. And uh, I don't personally see the rationale for saying that folk music has to stop at a certain point or at a certain... Uh, 
demographic, which is also often implied. Right. And uh, I, I think uh, it was part of my mission to be expansive uh, and to envision what folk genres might look like today if the black people who were present in those spaces had been empowered to bring in all of their influences and to be their whole selves, as opposed to having to chop out various pieces to conform to the legalities of the time when black people were not allowed to own drums in this country or uh, to conform to the demands of a market that expects very specific sounds from black people and white people because the early record industry made it that way. Uh, I am in a position now of being more free than anybody who came before me. Uh, and I may pay a cost for that in commercial appeal, but uh, that's why I go to Brown University and they give me all their slave money. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they didn't listen to that. <laughs> we, won't, we won't send it to them, don't worry. Um, speaking of going to Brown University, so you're doing a PhD in musicology and ethnomusicology. Yeah. Um, when did... Or I guess maybe you can challenge the premise of this question, but like, when did music become not just a hobby and a creative output for you, but also like a scholastic pursuit? Uh, I think probably toward the end of high school. Um, so I grew up playing in like rock bands around the DC area. They they weren't good. I just moved house <laughs> and found my bands like EP that we recorded and did, you know sophomore year of high school wasn't good, um, but. I ran into this band called Megan Jean and the KFB in an Ethiopian restaurant on U Street uh, in downtown D.C. on the way to a James Blake concert because the dubstep was there. Um, and this guy got up and started playing the banjo in a way that I'd never seen anyone play a banjo before. And I went up to him afterward and I was like, what was that? I've never seen anyone play a banjo like that. And he said, oh, that's called the claw hammer style. And it comes from the African instruments that the banjo descends from. And I was like, the what? Mm -hmm. um, and wound up going and doing a little more research and learning that the banjo was invented by enslaved Africans in the Caribbean and uh, had its first major site of growth in the continental United States in the Chesapeake Bay region, which is where my own ancestors are from. So I found this very close, direct ancestral connection to it. And then when things started heating up around Black Lives Matter, um, I started feeling the need to kind of reach back for some of that to understand how my ancestors had thought about and coped with all of the pressure that they were under, because I learned that a lot of the people I'd grown up around were not uh, as invested in my well-being as I thought they were. And uh, I wound up buying a lot of books and uh, it started uh, me down a rabbit hole. And when I got to college, I kind of said, I'm either going to make college about this or drop out of college to do this. And uh, I wanted my parents to still talk to me. <laughs> um, Working what, so far. <laughs> <laughs> the banjo has sort of had new life in pop music. Beyonce yeah. just announced a country album that Rhiannon Giddens is on. Rhiannon Giddens, for anyone who's not familiar, uh, prominent banjo player, scholar of music history, excellent musician. Um, I'm curious about, I guess, for you as a musician and scholar of this history, what would you hope to emerge from a sort of like mainstream pop acknowledgement of banjo and the black roots of country music? It's a complicated question. I do think that we're already seeing some of the benefits of what went down, um, where, you know, I and my colleagues who are out there on social media and are publicly associated with these topics have seen an influx of followers and engagement and everything else on social media from other black people who are trying to figure out how this works. Um, 
it's been really exciting. And Rhiannon has dedicated a lot of time this month after, you know, realizing what was going on because she didn't know. Right. She recorded her tracks for that two years ago and then like woke up in the morning in Ireland and she was on a Beyonce song like she had no warning. So she got on Facebook and on Instagram and has been posting like Black History Month banjo renaissance shout outs to everybody who's involved in reviving the tradition today. And that's been me, my bandmates, Trey Wellington and Kaya Cater, uh, Dom Flemons, Justin Robinson, Jerome Paxton and Valerie June were today. So she's been shining out a light in all these different places, as she always does. Um, and and that's the thing that I think has been really exciting to see the community pounce on this chance to lift each other up and lift the tradition up and hopefully reach some segments of the community that we've wanted to for a while. A lot of us have been uh, struggling for a long time to get knowledge about the banjo and of just like rural folk music and rural music in general into the mainstream black cultural discussion, right? Like nobody's getting covered by black publications. Nobody's getting hired to go play like Afropunk or whatever. Um, and it finally feels like those eyes that have been kind of narrowly focused in very specific genres or maybe narrowly focused away from our genre are starting to become aware of the work that we've been doing for decades to bring this thing to light, particularly to Rhiannon and people who are, you know, 10, 15 years older than me. And I'm here benefiting from the groundwork that they laid to, to have the career that I have. They had to, oh man, it had to be so hard. Uh, and I hope that she is, feeling the love and and understanding that this is the payoff for something that she spent <clears throat> decades trying to create. Um, and I, I wish so much more success for her. That was musician Jake Blunt in conversation with All of It and Get Lit music producer Simon Close at the New York Public Library earlier this week for the book club series Get Lit. You can find the full event, including all four songs that Jake performed online through all of its social media. And to play us out, here's a bit of Jake Blunt from the event with the song City Called Heaven. Thank you.
my mother has received bright glory my father's dead walking in sin my brothers and sisters won't know me because I am trying to get in Sometimes I buds tossed it and driven Sometimes I know not where to roll I've heard of a city called heaven I've started to make it my David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.